I'm ready to go home. I just heard a great message. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Fatuha. It was wonderful. Um, just want to spend some, a little bit of personal time with you here this morning. And that is, um, last week, I was given the privilege to give a few opening remarks before the town hall meeting about the uh, progress of the uh, building program. And uh, it led, led us to a few key thoughts about spiritual revival. And it was just a short time together, and, and uh, I just want to review part of that, uh, review part of that for you. Now, the reason is because the, the whole reason for having those remarks was to help us understand what God is doing in us and with us here at GBC. And so, but we have to understand what is happening. And I believe that all of us here feel inklings. There's something going on here that's special. And there's a spiritual revival of sorts going on in our church. And God uses different means to bring about spiritual revival amongst his people. It's inclusive, not exclusive, okay? So please understand that. And first was the mighty movement of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of God's people, especially a heightened sense of personal sin and corporate sin. And then also, it involves a personal revival among spiritual leaders, especially to persevere, uh, come what may. And then it also involves a journey of faith for God's people, especially around some kind of special event, task, or mission where God's wondrous acts are evident, such as, you know, Nehemiah. That's why we went through and saw that, how God used that one little event, build, rebuilding the walls, to bring God's people back to him. Now, one of the other thoughts that was given was the results or signs of uh, spiritual revival. These were the four R's. These are things that we hope will happen in the hearts of people. And I believe personally that these things are happening here and there, perhaps not as quickly, perhaps not as uh, uh, broadly as everybody would like at this moment, but they are happening. For example, there's a renewal of one's love for God, a renewal of one's love for God. You can't have a spiritual revival without having that. Then there's a restoration of an appreciation for the holiness of God, the specialness of God. And then there's a repentant spirit over personal and corporate sin, and then a recommitment of right to righteousness, prayer, obedience to God, uh, and using uh, uh, our spiritual gifts for God's glory. So, in other words, the results of spiritual revival then are renewal, restoration, repentance, and recommitment. Now, we launched out on a, uh, me- a series of messages last week, and this called Behold Your God. And all of this is an effort to help us understand God better and hence strengthen our faith, trust in him for what is today and what will be tomorrow. So it's not just something that was dreamed up. It was just not something that we all got together, you know, and just sort of, you know, <laughs> she does, she doesn't, you know, that kind of thing. But it was something that was led of the Lord to say, wouldn't it be good? that we come back and see our God in a fresh, new way. And so, behold, your God is supposed to do that. So, what I'd like to do is begin our study this morning first, not with the subject, not with a fancy introduction, but really with prayer. And if you would please join me in prayer. Father, we ask this morning that you would clear uh, and cleanse our minds and hearts so that we'd be able to focus on you. It is such an awesome and really important task to study your holiness. Father, this is where it begins, to understand how different you really are. And Father, when we have that appreciation of that, Father, it can take us 
to places we have never gone before. Father, it will help us to trust you. It would help us, Father, to have faith in you. It will help us, Lord, to know that what we are, you are calling us to do and what you are doing in us is for good. And Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for your word and we thank you for what we are about to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it, you know, the study of the holiness of God is really <laughs> a pretty awesome task. And I was reminded of that as I began to study this thing. And I just, you know, very frankly, one of the moments when I got into the study for this thing, I literally broke down and got on my knees. I was just really overwhelmed. Now, I'm not given to all that kind of stuff normally. But I was just overwhelmed by the truth of God's word. And so the first thing that we have to do is understand the meaning of the holiness of God. What do we mean when we say God is holy? Now, of course, there are people who've gone before us who have said many things about the holiness of God. And it goes from the scholarly to the simple. It goes from the scholarly to the simple. Let me give you some examples. For example, theologian Charles Hodge wrote this. The holiness of God. It's not to be conceived of as one attribute among others. It is rather a general term representing the conception of God's consummate perfection and total glory. It is his infinite moral perfection crowning his infinite intelligence and power. Whoa. Now that is a mouthful. Okay. And it's rich and it's deep. And I, you know, someday we'll understand all of that. Okay. But then you go to such a person like Charles Ryrie, theologian in his own right as well. And he says this about the holiness of God. It is a separation from all that is common or unclean. Wow. Now that's profound also, isn't it? Really, it is. But then you get a person like R.C. Sproul, who's devoted much of his life and ministry to studying the holiness of God. And you know what he says? He says... No dictionary is no dictionary is adequate to the task. <laughs> so you go from here to here. Oh, it's too big. We can't understand it. You see, and that's what happens when you talk about the holiness of God. It's almost impossible to just, you know, put it all in one sentence. It's very difficult to put taglines on it. It's very difficult to just come up with outline lines that will help us understand totally. It has to be taken together with many thoughts. And so this is the holiness of God. And so what people say is good, but what does the Bible teach us about the holiness of God is even more profound, is even more profound. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Okay, let me show you this. First of all, we'll start with the familiar. Being holy sets God apart from the rest of creation in terms of purity. This is what most of us would think about. If I walked up to you and caught you in the hall there and I said, please tell me what is holiness of God in your mind? You would say purity. You would say absolute moral perfection, right? That is the most familiar and the most common understanding of the holiness of God. Job chapter 34 verse 10 says, far be it from God to do wickedness, uh, to do wrong. You see, and so this has become sort of the standard that we use. And this is how we understand uh, at one level what the holiness of God is. Please understand here that when it comes to purity, God does not conform to any standard of holiness and righteousness. He is the standard. <laughs> okay. 
It's not like he's someone out there prescribed the, the standard of what is holy and what is righteous and God just sort of falls in line and obeys it and follows it. No, he is that standard, okay? And so that's why it becomes so, so big. It becomes so awesome. But as good as this is, this is only secondary to the real meaning of holiness. Huh? I haven't heard that before. I mean, all I've understood is God is sinless. All that's all I understand. God is totally righteous. That's all I understand. Uh-uh. There's more to it in Scripture. What else does it say? Scripture teaches us that being holy sets God apart from the rest of creation. Totally. Totally. He is distinct. He is separate from anything in creation. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. And this is the less familiar, but it is the more primary reason, uh, primary meaning. Where do we get this? Both the Hebrew word kadash and the Greek word hagios, were, uh, are translated whole, which are translated in our English Bibles as holy, mean distinct or separate. God is distinct and separate. In other words, God is incomparable. He is infinite perfection above and beyond us. Nothing and no one in com- creation compares with him. What's another way of saying this? All right. When we come to God, we need to change our view of God. He is more than merely another human being on spiritual steroids. Okay? We need to understand that. But sometimes we get the two confused. And we just kind of think, well, God, he's, he's better than us. You know? And that's about as far as we're willing to go. But the Bible says God is holy, and it means that he is distinct, that he is separate. He is totally another being. God utterly and totally is distinct from us in purity and in every other way. Whoa. Well, I never thought about that. But if you start thinking that way, then suddenly your God becomes very different, doesn't he? He becomes very different. How are you going to approach him? How are you going to talk to him? And we'll talk about that later. So that is the important thing. The meaning of God's holiness. He is uh, distinct from us in purity and in totality. But that leads us to the next point. The importance of the holiness of God. What is the importance of God being holy? Wow, this is a huge subject. This is a huge subject, but let me try to hit the highlights for you. First of all, being holy is central to understanding who and what God is, okay? This is where it starts, okay? You see, most of us would like to do this. We would rather focus on God's love. We would like to focus on God's power. We would like to focus on this, that, and the other. You know what God says? God says, no. He says, focus on my holiness, On my holiness. Well, where do we get this? It is the one name that God is known for, both in the Old and New Testament. God is called holy. In Psalms chapter 93, 99, verse 3. Psalm 99, verse 3. 
It says this about God. 99 verse 3. And it says, let, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Okay? There's a lot in a name. And so God says, hey, if you're going to call me anything, if you're going to know me for anything, know me as being holy. Being holy. Luke chapter 1, verse 49. This is when uh, Mary was, uh, was told about Christ. And uh, he says, and, and told what God was going to do in her. And so in Luke chapter 1, verse 49, this is her response. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Okay? So, yes, you can say God is love. Yes, you can say God is just. Yes, God is this and God is that. But what you need to say is God is holy. You see? This is why this is, helps us to understand who and what he is. It is also the chief characteristic of what he does, behind what he does. For example, in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, we're told that the law is holy. And his judgments and, verd- uh, and verdicts are perfect. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, Deuteronomy verse 32, you will see this. You see Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. Thirty-two verses three and four, and it says there: "It says, for I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the Rock. His work is perfect; for all His ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is He." So everything that God touches, everything that God does, because of who He is, it is right. It is good. It also shows that God thinks and acts at a level far beyond us. If you turn to that familiar passage, Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 through 9. You'll remember this passage very well. It says this, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts, he says. In other words, the whole point is that it is impossible to understand God apart from his holiness. Okay? Yeah, you might like, you might settle down on just his love. Yeah, you might just settle down on his power. Yes, you might f- settle for just his faithfulness. But God says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. He says, concentrate on the fact that I am holy. Without the holiness of God, we are constantly questioning his will and ways in our lives. We question his wisdom. We, co- we question his commands. We commission his will for our lives, you see. But if we will understand that God is holy, and that he has a plan for us, then what? We see things so differently. God who is, is holy, is who, holy is who God is, and characterizes what he does, and explains why he does it. So, it is important that we know that being holy is central to understanding God. But also, being holy separates God from sin. 
Being holy separates God from sin. Now you say to yourself, now that's not, now you're getting you're dwelling on the obvious, Pastor. You know, but it's important. This is important. Okay, you'll see why in just a moment. In Habakkuk chapter one, verse thirteen, your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Scripture even goes further in the New Testament in James chapter one, verses thirteen through fourteen. God, and it says this about God: He can't. He can't sin. He can't even be tempted. He can't even tempt anyone to sin, it says. Look at James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verses um, 13 through 14, it says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. One of the speakers put it this way. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go on to verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away, enticed by his own lust. One preacher, uh, Anthony Evans, said it this way. He said, the very idea of sin, either in God or from God, is inconceivable because of his purity, because of his holiness. So you say to yourself, why is the holiness of God so important? Because it says right up front, if you're going to understand me, you got to start with holiness. If you're ever going to understand the impact of this, it's that God cannot have anything to do with sin. Well, that leads us to the third point then. Being holy separates God and us because we sin. <laughs> That's the conclusion, right? How many of us in here, I know some of you aren't quite awake yet, but how many of you here would say to yourselves, I'm perfect. I, I don't sin. I don't sin. You see, none of us can. You see? And because of our sin, we are separated from God. This is the bad news. We are separated from God because of our sinfulness and his holiness. Whoa, that's a mouthful. If you look at Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah chapter 59, you'll see this very clearly. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, and he's 59, verse 2, and he says this. He says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It says Romans chapter three, verse 10, Romans chapter three, verse 10 says this. It says that it is written. There is none righteous, not even one, it says. And then in verse 23, the very familiar verse that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what happens is God and sin are separate. They cannot come together. And then he says, because we sin, we can't come together with God. And so this puts us in a very bad predicament. Another way of saying this is we have lost our access and have no means of regaining our access to God on our own. That's why sometimes people say to themselves, I feel so distant from God. I feel so distant from God. I, 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 me and God are, we're not as intimate as we used to be. Or people would say to themselves something like, there's something wrong with my relationship with God. More times than not, it is because of sin. Because sin separates us from God. Because God is separated from sin. Because God is holy. Got it? And so that's why it is so, so, so important. But there's still good news. There's start with the bad news, but there's some good news. God provides a way for us to have access to him through the death of his of Christ on the cross. And we find this, of course, in Romans chapter five, 
verses six to eight and says this. For while we were yet still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And remember, I said something about our access to God. Well, if you go back to Ephesians chapter two, verse 18, you'll see this. This is the marvelous thing that God has done. It says, for through him. Meaning Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Our access has been restored to God. You see, it doesn't stay with bad news. It goes on to good news, you see. And God exercises all of this in his holiness. God's, ho- uh, God's holiness means he is separated from, which means he is separated from us. But it also means that we can come back to him. This is the important thing that we need to understand. This is the importance of God being holy. Well, this is loaded with all kinds of personal implications then. There's all kinds of things that apply to our, our practical daily lives. And I want to just share, share with you some, a few of them. Number one, all of us should approach God with reverence and awe. All of us should. Everybody. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, (laughs) you need to approach God with reverence and awe. Now, I know some of you would say that's pretty shocking. No, the whole world should be into reverencing God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You see, many people take God for granted. We really do. We treat, we treat him as sort of kind of like a, 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 a giant ATM. <laughs> and so he exists for our pleasure. He exists for our needs. And all we do is we put the magic card in called prayer and we get out whatever we want. You see, but God isn't that. He is the awesome God. He is a consuming fire. When we understand the holiness of God, something has to happen. We have to change in how we relate to him. God is not going to change. God is not going to change. No matter how much, how angry you get, how much you stamp your feet, no matter how much you shake your fist in the face of God, no matter how much you raise your voice, God is not going to change. He's going to be his holy self. But we have to change in the way that we see God. Well, what are some of the ways that people have responded to God? Well, if you go back to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16, you hear this. I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones. In my place, I tremble. You know, there used to be a hymn that we used to sing, right? Called, and we tremble, 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 right? But the senior saints will know that one, okay? And, 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 and so, you know, there was this, this feeling, there was this awesome um, presence of God, and what would happen is that when God spoke, we trembled. That's how we responded. Look at also Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. He says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says, Woe is me, 
Instead of sometimes our approach to God is, wow, is me. You know, aren't you lucky, God, that I'm here to serve you? You know, wow, God, you are so blessed. You know, no, woe is me, he says, because our sin becomes so, so evident. The apostle Peter, when he was when he saw Jesus and he was overcome by what he heard and what he saw, he said this in Luke chapter five, verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You see, what is our reaction when we come face to face with Almighty Holy God? You see, we've lost the tremble. We've lost the woe is me. We've lost the oh. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. We don't have that anymore. So, all of us should approach God with reverence and awe. Believers should especially pursue holiness in their lives. If you turn to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. It says this. It says this. First Peter chapter 1. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God makes it absolutely clear that it is incumbent upon believers to pursue a life of holiness. To be like God. To be like God. There's a quote that was given by uh, Spurgeon, Char- uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, as he wrote about the holiness of God. I think I included it in the slide, didn't I? Charles Spurgeon. It says this. To me, the greatest privilege in all the world would be perfect holiness. If I had my choice of all the blessings I can conceive of, I would choose perfect conformity to the Lord Jesus or, in one word, holiness. May I ask you the question? I'm not trying to be mean-spirited here, but I really want to ask you the question. How serious are you about holiness? Are there other blessings that you would put ahead of that? You might say, oh God, I'd much rather be successful in this world. Oh, God, I'd much rather be rich in this world. Oh, God, I'd rather be this. I'd rather be that. But God says, be holy, for I am holy. So believers need to pursue holiness in their lives. Well, not everybody in here that's hearing this is a believer. Some of us are pre-believers. And we should understand that what God's holiness demanded, his love provided. What his holiness demands, God provides. If you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a fancy word for me. Atoning sacrifice. He's the one that took our place on the cross. He's the one who paid for our sins with his life. You see? And so 
That's what is God's holiness demands. God's holiness demands that sin be atoned for, that it be paid for, that there be a reckoning for sin. And God did it by providing Jesus Christ. If you turn again to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, again, a very familiar passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, it says. What God's holiness demanded, God provided. And this is the message to you out there. If you're here today without Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're not asking you to join the church. We're not asking you to give to the building program. We're not asking you for anything. We're just asking that you please, please pray and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you can do that. How? A, acknowledge that you are a sinner separated from a holy God. B, believe that there is nothing you can do to save yourself except to simply trust in Jesus Christ as your gift from God for eternal life. So that's all you have to do. Sounds like not much. But you know how hard it is to believe something? (laughs) Some of us, we can fall for anything, all right? But for others of us, boy, we think and we think and we think and we think and we think. Sometimes believing is really hard. And this is what he's asking us to do, to put our trust in him. Number three, confess Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life and accepting the free offer of salvation personally. And you can do that in the quietness of your own heart. You don't have to go outside. You don't have to stand up and wave your hand. You don't have to come walking down the aisle. You can come talk to me or one of the other pastors or even some of the song lead, uh, the, the uh, people who are up here today. They will be happy to show you how you can do it. So there's something for everybody here. And if I sound a little more personal than normal, it's because this is a personal subject. (laughs) It was very hard to do. And yet, and yet, it brought me to my knees. Now the question I have for you is, does it bring you to your knees before holy God? Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence, we are so mindful of your perfection and our imperfections. Sometimes it's hard for us to admit those things. Our pride, our arrogance, our selfishness, our self-centeredness, all of these things get in the way. But Lord, today, would you simply but powerfully speak to everyone's heart And Father, may we be overcome. May we become overcome by your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.